Last week, if you were here, you'll be reminded that we shifted the spotlight on this household series to the parents. We've been talking about uh, the children for some time, and now we want to talk about those who are parenting over them. We looked at Colossians 3.21, which says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. This verse focuses on the negative consequences of parental failure. It gives us uh, a snapshot and a glimpse of what it looks like to, to fail as a father, really. And, and we found that children lose heart when they are exasperated and provoked to anger. And today, we'll look at an almost identical scripture from Ephesians, set again in the context of the household order. This is Ephesians 6, 4, and it says, very similarly, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, it will add, it's a little bit different, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, the difference between these two verses is one gives the negative consequences and the other gives positive instruction. So one's negative, one's positive. Failure, so the negative, leads to discouragement. Success looks like discipline and instruction in the Lord. So said another way, failure leads to discouragement and success leads to encouragement. So, so let us now read this verse, Ephesians 6, 4, in context to see how God, the Holy Spirit, might illuminate new facets of understanding as we open up God's Word together to look again at a very similar exhortation to last week, but I want to read it in context here. So we're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 6, reading down to verse 4. So Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. These are the words of God, village. Let's give attention to them this morning. Children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word of God for his people. Let's pray. Father, we come again to... A very similar passage that we read last week. The Lord, this is a different context, um, a different church that the Apostle Paul was exhorting, but still said in the same order of the household. And Lord, I pray that as we look at this verse, that's a little bit different than last week's, that we would see um, a greater understanding of who you are. Lord, I want to pray particularly this morning that we would catch a glimpse of the fatherhood of God. As we look to your scriptures, Lord, let us see a loving Father. Let us not misunderstand you or the discipline that you administer to us, but let us um, embrace the love that you extend to us in your Son, Jesus. We thank you that you speak to us. So, Lord, as we look at your word once again, let us remember that you're the one talking to us this morning through your word. I pray that anything that I say that is not of you, I pray that it would go in one ear and right out the other. So, Lord, I do pray that the, the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So if the picture of a provoking father leading to discouragement is an embittered, exasperated youth who's lost heart, this is what we talked about last week, what does a well-nurturing father look like? Okay, we looked at a bad dad last week. What does a good dad look like? What does a good parent look like? Well, here the, the text gives us this language of discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
Now, for some, this language of discipline and uh, less instruction, but more so discipline, it might provoke the same kind of discouragement um, of, an over, uh, of an overbearing father. You think of discipline, and you might think of the time that your, your father beat you as a kid. I mean, let's be honest. Some people uh, were, had abusive fathers, and when they think of discipline, they kind of are a little bit gun-shy, and they jerk back. Uh, when you think of that, I want you to, to move away from that image and recognize that your dad isn't God the Father. Okay? I need you to distance yourself a little bit from that if that was you as a kid. Uh, but at the outset, allow me to clear up two common misunderstandings of biblical discipline as we look to the fatherhood of God. So two misconceptions of discipline, what discipline is not, we might say. First, godly discipline is not based upon preferences. Okay, It's not based upon preferences. It's based upon righteousness, God's righteousness. Fathers are not called to discipline because they are mad. They're not called to discipline because they're embarrassed about what their kids might do in front of them, in front of their friends. They're not called to discipline because their kids might say something that has emotionally hurt them. Okay, that, Those are not good reasons to discipline your children. Notice all those examples were all feelings. Okay, Feelings that parents might discipline for. So personal or communal preference nor feeling should be the cause of discipline. A shortcoming of righteousness should be the cause of discipline. In other words, sin should be the cause of discipline. We discipline for sin, and righteousness should be the goal. Now, frankly, if you think about this, preferences have nothing to do with the standard for discipline. It's not about what we want. Okay, As, as fathers, as mothers, as parents, it's not about what we want. We don't get to choose the standard for our household order. God has already fixed that standard into the, uh, the order of the household, and the standard is the righteousness of God, the law of God. Okay, and, and a breach of this righteous standard should be the only cause of discipline. Okay, Anything that goes above or below this righteous standard of God calls the integrity of the parent into question. Okay, Think about that. If we don't discipline for the things that God tells us are sins, what does that say about us? If we do discipline for things that God does not call sin, what does that say about us? What it says is that we are making our standards up as we go, that we are the rule, that we are the guide, that we are ultimate righteousness, and whatever I say goes, something that we have no right to do as parents. Now, I'm not saying that there's no place in the house for saying, because I said so. Right? There, there's some of that that just comes with parenting. But the reality is, is because I said so should be based upon God's word. You can't make it up as you go. It has to be based upon the righteousness of God because we are not a guide to ourselves. We are in need of a guide. And that's why God provides his word to us this morning. Our discipline is based upon the instruction of the Lord. That's what the text tells us this morning. So parents, heed the warning. If you can't figure out why your child is provoked to anger through your discipline, it might be that he or she has a sense of injustice. They're wondering, why are you disciplining for something that has nothing to do with God's word? It could be that they are discouraged that your discipline is not for their sake, but for your sake, getting your way. Or even worse, uh, they realize that you're not disciplining for either uh, your sake or their sake, and, and you're completely ignoring the fact that uh, God has a standard of holiness. So you're not disciplining for his sake either. Children aren't dumb. Okay? Children are smart. They pick up on the things that you're doing. They know when the discipline is about you and you're, you're getting your way. When you're trying to control them and manipulate them and just get what you want, and it's not about God's standard, kids know that. Okay? They pick up on it. 
Now, they might not know every time. That's why we as parents are the guides. We're the parents. We're the ones that are showing them the, the, the guide and the righteousness. But that's the thing. We always have to keep going back to the standard. It's not what I want. It's not just because I said it. It's because of what God has said. So righteousness is the standard. Godly discipline is not about preference. It's about the Lord's instruction. So to say it bluntly, it does not say, raise your children in your discipline and in your instruction. What does it say? Raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, It makes it very clear that the Lord is the, the, the standard for our discipline. Okay, That's the first misconception is it's not about preference. The second misconception about discipline is it's not punishment. Now this might be a little bit uh, radical for some of you in, in, your, in this room because in your vocabulary, you have used the word discipline and the word punishment um, synonymously. These two words don't mean the same thing. Discipline is not punishment. Discipline is a restorative process. It, it, it seeks for reconciliation, reconciling the person who is out of fellowship back into fellowship with others. Okay, So redemption is actually the goal of godly discipline. Punishment, on the other hand, is meant to serve as a, a penalty, a retribution for the wrong done. You're, you're paying for the wrong done. It makes the person pay in full for the wrong that they've incurred in order to bring balance and justice to the, the community. That's actually not what godly discipline is towards our children. Okay, take, for example, the death penalty for, for, for murder. Say, say someone murders someone and they, they are given the death penalty. The goal is not to restore that person to fellowship back into the community, is it? No, it's instead a final cutting off. A payment for the wrong done. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. Pure justice, pure penalty. That's a picture of punishment. Okay, That's not what godly parenting looks like. When your kids sin, the goal isn't to cut them off and show them how wrong they were and hold them to the, the farthest penalty of what they, uh, what they did. That's not what we are supposed to do in those moments. Godly parenting is always to shepherd the heart of the child back to God. Okay? We're bringing our kids back to Jesus, the one who is true righteousness. Because again, if this is biblical discipline, sin has occurred. Okay, Because it's a matter of sin. That, that, that's what our discipline standard should be. So we're, we're, we're bringing people back to the one that can bring order to this sin problem. Our job as parents is, is to restore not just the, the civil order of our home, but more importantly, we as parents serve a kind of priestly role of ministering, ministering to our children the love and the grace of God extended to them in Christ Jesus. That's what gospel parenting should look like. We point them to Jesus, not to ourselves, because guess what? We don't have the answer to their problem of sin. Okay? We can't pay for their sins. They can't pay for their sins. So we take them to Jesus who can pay for their sins. And the beautiful thing is that in time, this will turn the heart of the children back to their fathers relationally. God promises this. That when we have a gospel-centered parenting, the, the relationships really do grow closer together between the kids and their parents. And, and this uh, biblical parental discipline brings not just civil order, so it's not just things are civilized in the home and no one's yelling, no one's screaming. It brings something even deeper than this. It brings a spiritual and even a relational order to the household that we so need, Right? This is what godly discipline does. It, it fixes all of the problems, not just the, the parents' uh, aggravation with some of the things that kids are doing. It brings true order, true unity, true fellowship in the home. And, and church realize that the main reason we do not consider godly discipline as punishment is because our discipline is Christ-centered. Now think about this. Anything that's Christ-centered sees things from the perspective of the gospel, which tells us that the punishment for our sins 
has already been laid on Jesus. Okay? He has paid the punishment for our sins. We, we say this all the time. Because the gospel is true, and Christian parenting uh, is true, punishment is excluded from the role of parents. Not our job to punish our kids. We discipline them. We discipline, and we do this as a restorative ministry of the gospel that has future implications not just for our households, but for their households, for the church and the state. Really, all the, the, the different spheres of government. That's what the discipline that we're doing in the home sets them up for. It sets them up for success in their future households where they might have good relationships with their kids and their grandkids and so on. That's what we want through our godly parenting. Uh, because we don't want our children to be excommunicated and cut off uh, for sin and cut off from the body of Christ, we discipline them now in the home. Okay? That's the way the order works. We want them to be able to be well-functioning church members. So we raise them up disciplining them now so they don't have to be cut off later. Because we don't want our children to be executed as criminals in the future and cut off from the community, from uh, the civil order, we discipline them now in the home. Okay, you know this, right? If you raise them up now right, then you don't have to worry about many of the problems later on when they grow up. So again, the, this discipline is redemptive and restorative, not punitive. Okay, We're not making our kids pay for their sins through our discipline. So clearing up these two misconceptions with parental discipline is really going to help us see the overall goal of parenting. And that is to nurture and shepherd the hearts of our children to God. Okay? Bringing our kids back to God. Doing that well, though, is only possible through learning something of the fatherhood of God. So we're going to shift a little bit now. We've looked at two misconceptions. I want to look at some positive things. Uh, fathers learn to be good fathers partly from their fathers, right? You, you probably learned some good things from your dad, but that only goes so far. Your dad's not God. Again, thank God. But most importantly, we learn from our Father in heaven. The picture that we get of God himself is the perfect image of what fatherhood should look like. So we must ask, what does the fatherhood of God look like? We're going to talk about uh, divine fatherly discipline. What discipline should be? How, how God disciplines us. So at the outset, let's all remember that Hebrews 12 gives us a picture of discipline as the indicator that you are being loved and fathered by God. So discipline is actually a sign of love. I'm going to read the text to you. You've heard it before many times, but I just want you to think of it now in the context of discipline and uh, fatherly discipline and parental discipline. It says in Hebrews 12, 5 through 7, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? His point there is you're, you're a child, you're, you're a son or you're a daughter. Have you forgot the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. It says he's treating you as his kids because God loves his kids. For what son is there, it says, uh, for what son is there whom the father does not discipline? Now think about that, the implications there. He's Basically saying, the author of Hebrews is, is that if God isn't disciplining you, then there might be a, a reason to be concerned. Because God disciplines his children. He disciplines his kids. And if you aren't getting discipline from God, that might be a sign that you are being excluded from something. Okay. Now, there's a lot in this passage in Hebrews 12. But the main thing I want you to see is that we find a sound model of parenthood in the fatherhood of God. We look to God our Father to find out how to be a good we look to our, our Father in heaven to real, uh, realize what true parenting should look like. 
And, and this text in Hebrews, which if you didn't know, if you turned there, it, it's really just a quote from Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. And it makes some large claims. And the first of these claims is that the discipline of the Lord is an indicator of love. The discipline of the Lord is an indicator of love. If you're being disciplined by God, you can be known that you are, you can make it known that you are being loved by God. If you love your kids, you will discipline them. God disciplines the kids that he loves. Okay? Proverbs, though, would flop this. Okay? If you love your kids, you will discipline them. Think about how Proverbs will take that truth and say it another way. And say what happens if you don't discipline your kids. It says you hate them. Okay, Proverbs 13.24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son. Strong language. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Now, this verse in Proverbs steps all over the toes of our current understanding of parenthood and how we ought to parent in uh, the, the culture and the day in the we, that we live. Not only does this tell us that if we refuse to discipline our kids that we hate them, that's hard enough to swallow, it also opens up a whole other can of worms about the biblical method of discipline, how we ought to discipline our children. Whoever spares the rod hates his son is another way of saying whoever or whoever refuses to spank his son hates him. That's strong, strong language. Now, think about this, though. It might seem offensive to some. I get this. But, but I want you all to know that this is not a free-for-all to beat your children. It, this is why it was so important for us to clear up some of these misconceptions right at the outset, because there is abuse that takes place in homes, where people take that rod verse and they, they run. They, they will beat their kids. They are not loving them. They are abusing them. They are not disciplining them. They're punishing them. And they abuse what God's word says and don't take it seriously. Those people ought to watch out from God. But if you remember, we're talking about loving our children through discipline. This is the way that God loves us. He disciplines us, it says. And the, the point is love. God loves us too much to let us fail in the long run. Okay? And, and if you would read further in Hebrews, where we just quoted, it says in Hebrews 12, 11, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So it seems painful now. It's not pleasant, it says. But later, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. The second thing the fatherhood of God tells us about discipline is that it's painful, not pleasant. Now, this is hard to swallow, but, but remember, later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now, now, consider what it's saying. It's trading and sacrificing momentary pain for long-lasting peace. It's saying it's better to have a little sacrifice now than a huge sacrifice later. We discipline now so that we don't have these huge fruits of sin later down the road. We, we talked about those, the sins that would come with not disciplining their children. That you, you raise them up to children who would be excommunicated from the church. If you are not disciplining for the sins that you should in uh, society, those kids raise up are, are the, the ones that are murderers. Those are the ones that are thrown in jail. Those are the ones that are paying the, the penalty of their sins once they grow older because they were not disciplined as children. So it's not a punishment, discipline uh, in the godly sense. It's not a punishment. It's a redemptive tool uh, of training and instruction to bring about peace, peace in the home. Peace in the greater society of the church and, and, and the, the, the world that we live in. And if you aren't careful, you can give in to our present cultural push to throw out the entire biblical system of discipline. Okay? Because it seems too harsh. And, and again, it's probably because of misconception of it. But you would say, well, I don't want any of it. 
I want God, but I don't want his order of discipline. But before you do this, you need to realize that this whole thing, this whole discipline is based upon God himself. Okay? You can't have God and not have his order of discipline too. You have to take both. You have to receive God in the way that he loves us and the way that he disciplines us. And if you don't, if you refuse the discipline of God and his fatherhood towards us, you, you are by extension not just refusing his discipline, but also the, the love that he is extending towards you. Okay, think about it. We are being the rebellious and obstinate children that we're trying not to raise our kids into when we throw God's biblical discipline out with the window. Right? If we say, I will not do that, God, I will figure out things on my own. I've got my own methods. I know you have yours. That's your preference. That's fine, God, but I'll do it my way. You are going to raise your kids in the, into the very kids that are being rebellious just like you are. You are being obstinate and rebellious against God if you are not taking him seriously at his word in the way that he's given it to us. Okay, that's important too. We can't abuse God's word and take it in a far different direction that he had never intended it to. Okay? Now, one of the best things that helps us uh, to see the freedom of God's order for the household is to go all the way back to the very beginning, as we have done so many times, to Eden. Go all the way back to the Edenic state, Adam and Eve before the fall. Eden, as I have argued before, was the kind of first household of sorts, and God was the first father. Okay, so you have Adam and Eve with the father God um, in the garden in their household together. Now consider that picture of godly parenting. Adam and Eve, the first children of God, are not boxed into this dull and boring land with never-ending uh, list of rules and regulations where they can't do anything. They are in a world of yes with one single no. Okay, think about the context that God created them, the household that he gave to them. It was a world of yes with one single no. You can eat of any of the trees. They're all good for eating. They're all good fruit, except for this one. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay? A world of yes with one single no. There's only one tree you cannot eat of. Now, our tendency as parents is to flip this completely on its head, to, to, to do this exact opposite. You can't eat anything out there except for this one tree. You can't do anything in this room except this one single thing. Sit there and just do that is what we tell our kids. Now think about how that might provoke some things to them. Think about how they might perceive that. When we put them in a house made for adults instead of children and fill our room with no's, think about what that does to the heart of a child. It's discouraging. They can't do anything. Think about it. Now, now it might seem trite and inconsequential, but child-proofing your house is literally a way that you could cultivate an identic and godly household that brings freedom to your children. We are creating a context and a place for your kids to be kids, where they can live and have freedom. If you think your child would be tempted to uproot that decorative orchid plant that you place as the centerpiece in your living room, if you think that that'd be a good idea to put that there, think about what your kids are going to perceive that as, right? Your rug will be filled with dirt before you can blink an eye. Your kids will want more than anything to knock, out, knock off that orchid, play their Barbies on it, play their G.I. Joes. They're going to knock it over. It is going to be over in no time. So think about even the way that you're decorating your house, even the way that you're, you're putting things together for your children in the context that you are placing them in. Because you have control over that. Let's be honest. Our kids don't get to make our house how they want it. We make it. Now, we need to think about how that matters to our children. Think about how that might exasperate your children to have a complete room of no's, of, of fine china everywhere, things that they can't touch, things that they can't do. How, or how exasperating is that for a child? Think about that. How many exasperating conversations we could save by simply loving our children in a way that doesn't overwhelm them, putting them in situations that they can actually handle instead of setting them up for failure in a world of no's with one single yes. Think of Eden, right? 
You see, this all comes back to not laying too many burdens on our children and asking too much of them. Do not provoke them to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It says, so creating a context of freedom is essential for the encouragement of the child. You're going to bring discouragement if you don't. Now think of the way Jesus uh, calls us to live with him and in our Father with God, or our, our, our relationship with God. He says, ask anything in my name. Ask anything. I'm that kind of father. You can ask anything in my name and it'll be done to you. The world is yours. There's tons of freedom. Live freely in it. That's the kind of mentality that God calls us to in our walk with him. So why do we think it would be, it should be anything different with our kids and the way that we are fathering them, the way that we are mothering them? Walking on eggshells, always trying, uh, always being afraid of uh, uh, disobeying the world of no's is not the way that you want your children to feel in your household. Right? When they walk in your house, you don't want them to feel suffocated. Right? You should foster joy, freedom for your children in, their, in your household. They should be able to lay their heavy burdens down at the door. Right? They have enough on their plate as kids. It's hard being a kid, let's be honest. When they come in your house, they should feel like a burden is lifted off their shoulders because mom and dad, they're a place of freedom. They're a place of refuge, a place of, of safety, a place where they, they are free to be themselves, free to, to be children. Okay? Now, going back to the fatherhood of God, the reality is God does not parent us by building fail-proof gutter rails on the Christian life. Okay? He doesn't put up high walls that we can't jump over and say, I'll have a hands-off approach, just have fun. No, God often allows us to fail. I want you to think about that. God allows us to fail, to mess up often. Think about how many times you sinned this week. Think about how God could have uh, stood over your shoulder, making you feel guilty the whole time, and kept you from doing that, but what good would that have done, right? He, he lets you have uh, uh, the freedom to fail. He doesn't suffocate us with helicopter parenting, okay? Why? Because God doesn't operate in fear. God has a plan for us, and he knows the future implications for that. He knows where these things are headed. So he doesn't operate out of fear. He doesn't operate out of uh, this suffocating mentality. He operates out of love and allows us to walk in freedom. Why? Because he knows where it's going. That's the kind of thing that we need to foster as parents. We need to have such a trust in God's word and the promises that he gives to our children that when they grow up, they will not depart from it, that we are able to have a kind of relief and realize, okay, if I'm trusting God's word. I'm raising my kids in faith. I shouldn't be scared to death that they are going to mess up right now. Because I know that there's going to be fruits later on because of what God's word says. I have trust. I believe that his word is true. It will not fail. So parenting out of fear looks like trying to prevent everything painful from happening to your children. I don't want my kids to ever have any hurt in their lives. So I'm going to, I'm going to keep that from ever happening. And let's be honest, it's much easier and stress, uh, uh, it's much less stressful to build a parenting style that puts up high boundaries and fail-proof rules that allows us to take a hands-off uh, approach and not be as intentional, okay? Where you, where you kind of bubble wrap your kids. That you say, they, they can't get hurt. I'll put them in this box. They, they can't mess it up. But if we don't let our kids have the freedom to fail, we rob them of maturity because that's what the goal is, right? It's not just getting what, what we want. That's what we forget in the moment of parenthood. It's not about what I want. It's about where they're going about the goal, which is righteousness, which is maturity, which is fruits later down the road. So bubble wrapping our kids isn't going to do anything but cripple them in the long run. It's going to set them up for failure. We want kids that know how to operate in freedom, not be crippled by decision uh, the, the moment that they move out of their house. If mom and dad have made every single decision for you in your life, when you get out of your house, you're going to be crippled. You are not going to know how to handle the world. 
because guess what? You are going to have to make decisions. That's what we need to be fostering with our kids. This kind of freedom to where even at the, at the early stages of life, they're able to make decisions. They're able to think for themselves. They're not just thinking what their parents think. They're able to, to internalize what's going on in the situation, self-evaluate, reflect, and be able to actually make a real decision instead of being scared to death that they too are going to mess up. Because that's what the kind of parenting does. That If you're, if you're standing over their shoulder all the time, your kids are scared to death that you're going to uh, be disappointed because they've messed up. What if we just had a grace mentality where we're like, I know you're going to mess up. You're a kid. I'm the parent. I, and you come run to me and I'll, I'll lead you to Jesus and show you how he resolves that problem for us. Again, the Garden of Eden is a good snapshot of this. God wasn't standing over the shoulder of Adam and Eve when they were playing with that forbidden fruit that God told them not to eat of. You ever think about that? Where was God when Adam and Eve were standing there with the serpent? He wasn't right there. He was out of sight. They were left in the moment to make a decision. God already told them what to do. They decided to make the decision. Am I going to rebel or am I going to obey? Which is it going to be? They, they were left with that decision. Of course, you know the story. They sinned. They did rebel. And, and God went to hunt them down, calling for them, which implies he wasn't right there again. And, and did he know where Adam and Eve were when he, uh, when he called for them? Of course he knew where they were at. He, he was their father. He knew what was going on, just like you know what your kids are up to. When you hear them mumbling in the other room and they're making some quiet conversations, you know what they're doing. Okay? But, but part of the freedom and honor that God gives to us is the responsibility to answer his call. Okay? When we've messed up and God calls us back, he gives us that free, freedom, that responsibility to, to, to answer God's call when he says, Adam, where are you at? Where are you? When you tell your kids, son, where are you at? He gives us that freedom, that dignity, that honor to answer that call. He doesn't keep it from happening. He allows us to, to mess up. Yes, he brings discipline when we sin. That's what the good father does. But he does it in a redemptive way, loving, a loving way that expresses grace. Think about this. He could have punished Adam and Eve for his sin. Okay? He could have punished instead of discipline. He could have killed them right then and there. The wages of sin is death. The day that you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. Now, there was a spiritual death that took place that day, but that was the relational element that was broken. He could have killed his, his kids there, but he didn't. Why? Because God the Father doesn't parent in a kind of penal way. It's not a, a punishment. It's a redemptive way. So what does he do? Instead of killing them, he kills an animal to make clothes to cover their nakedness and gave them the promise of redemption from their sin. What a beautiful picture that is. A sacrifice now, because the implications would be worse if he didn't a sacrifice was made. I think you all can see where this leads. What does that signify there? When that animal was killed, we don't know what it was, what kind of animal it was, but something was killed to make clothes for Adam and Eve, to cover their nakedness, to cover their sin. It points us to Christ, the one who covers our nakedness with his righteousness, the one that makes the sacrifice for us so that we don't have to. That's the way that God loves us in a kind of gospel-centered way. So as we close, church, more than anything in this sermon, I want you all to realize this discipline and instruction of the Lord, it's not a plan of salvation for your kids. It's not. You cannot dis, uh, discipline your children into salvation. That's not what I'm saying this morning. Discipline is simply the schoolmaster that teaches us Christ is the answer. It's that pattern of taking our kids back to Jesus because Jesus is the answer. Godly discipline teaches us not just what the sin is to the children, but why they did it. 
Okay? It goes deeper than just administering a method of discipline. It takes it to the heart of it. It, it. it beckons the heart of the child to ask him or herself why they did what they did. Son, why, why did you do that? Daughter, why? What, what made you do that? What was going on in your heart? What was stirring you there to make that bad decision? Is that really what you wanted? Do you now see the fruits of that? That's what the father does to us. That's what we as parents should be doing to our kids. What does that say about your character, son, that you did that? What about the state of your soul? So godly discipline, it goes further than just civil order, getting what mom or dad wants. It goes deeper than that. It asks, how has this sin broken the fellowship of the family? Well, we're out of, out of sorts now. Broken fellowship with God because sin has occurred. What must be done to mend this brokenness that has occurred in the family? There's been dishonor. There's been disobedience. There's been a breaking of God's law, which is sin. How do we get this fixed? Do we sweep it under the rug? Do we act like it never happened? Does that really solve the problem? Or does that foster just a weird uh, relationship where everyone knows that there's a problem there? You're just walking on eggshells and everyone's ignoring the problem in the room. That's not what you want. You don't want that awkward mentality in your household. You want to take care of your situation. You want to reconcile the relationships because simply spanking the child, think about that. That's not going to fix all these problems. Just, just going in, giving a, a, a spank on the bottom, and then moving on. That's not going to fix the problems. Biblical discipline, it goes much deeper than that. Okay? It gets to the heart of the issues. They need to see their heart. Okay, So there needs to be introspection, self-examination, why I did what I did. They need to see your heart as a parent. And most importantly, at the end of it, they need to see the heart of God. All three of those need to come together. Their heart, your heart, and the heart of God. When these come together, there's going to be order. And when they're out of sync, fellowship will not be fully restored to the household. You're going to have an out-of-sorts house. There's going to be weirdness going on there. And I'm sure all of you have experienced that from, from time to time, where your household just didn't feel right, like there was something weird going on. Maybe it was with you and your kids. Maybe it was a spouse where you guys were out of fellowship with one another. The only thing that brings that fellowship back into order is true reconciliation, recognizing that we're sinners, sin has occurred, and the only thing that brings order is the blood of Jesus, that Jesus has paid for that sin already. You see, the gospel, the gospel is the heart of parenting. We have to keep coming back to the cross. You can't raise perfect kids. Why? Because you're not perfect parents. Okay? The, the gospel is the, what gives us that lens to be able to look at this from a different kind of perspective. Your kids need to know that you're not perfect. Your kids also need to know that they're not perfect. But they also need to know that there is one perfect that you can lead them to. If their expectation is perfection and sinlessness, they will fail for the rest of their lives. I think that's the problem that we've had with so many kids. Is we have a standard of perfection and sinlessness that we've put on our kids, and they think that, well, I've missed it, and they're failures. They internalize that. They say, I am a failure. I'm a mess up. I could never make dad happy. That's just who I am. I'm a mess up. Discipline is not as much about preventing failure as it is about reconciling the failure that has already been done. Let me say that again because this might be new to you as you think about discipline. Discipline is not as much about preventing failure momentarily as it is about reconciling the failure that has already been done. Getting up when you've fallen down. Right? Getting things back on track when you've messed up. Children who know how to fail know how to succeed. Children who do not know how to, ha how to fail will not succeed. They won't. They won't know how to get back up. They will internalize all their sin. They will try to carry it on their own. They will try to take that load, not going to the gospel, and they will hate themselves. That's the kind of kids that you will raise when you put that burden on them, when you provoke them to anger. And the discipline and the instruction of the Lord is that great movement, not just of law, it is partly law, but also of grace. 
that restores that fellowship of God in the home, where you guys are on the same page. Mom and dad and the kids, it's a joyful home. It's a place where they actually want to be, just like the place that we want to be with our Father in heaven. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we as parents in the room, we certainly know that we are often failures. But I pray that as we've heard your word this morning, I pray that we would also be gospel-centered and realize that we can't do this on our own. Give us the grace that we need. Remind us not just of the law and the standard of righteousness, but remind us also of the grace that we find in our Father who loves us well, that allows us to sin, that allows us to mess up, but not to an ultimate end. It's a, it's a loving discipline that's painful presently, 